I'm Alex Stone, former military service member and law enforcement officer, now CEO of Echelon Protected Services, one of the fastest growing private security firms on the West Coast. And this is Ride Along. where our guests and I witness firsthand the issues affecting our community. I believe our proven method of enacting meaningful change through compassion and understanding is the best way to make our streets a safer place and truly achieve security through community. My name is Damian Bunting. I'm a security guard and a local gun rights activist and an activist for the security industry in general. Looking forward today to being a part of the Ride Along podcast, talking with Alex. Hey, Alex Stone, welcome back to the Ride Along. Our co-host today is Damian Bunting, security professional, absolutely amazing guy, knows what he's doing, prior law enforcement and uh, security, also Air Force veteran. Damian's here right now in the studio. Damian, how are you doing, brother? So, here. sit down, bro. Uh, How do you like the studio? I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. I love this table. I love this. Oh, table. thanks, bro. This my this table. Um, my brother, you know, he worked down at Warcom uh, on the SEAL teams down there, and he talked to the skipper and said, "Hey, you got some lumber over there? I see. Uh, how about I get some of that lumber? I build a a uh, Viking war table. I love it. And this is what he made. Uh, I've had it for several years. He, you know, he passed away in 2017. Yeah. And it started splitting, so we had some epoxy work done. I put his trident in here. He was a member of Task Unit Bruiser, a very well-known task unit. Absolutely. I, I believe the most highly decorated SEAL unit that served in Iraq got the challenge coins in there. So, yeah, man, um, this was his ops table. Yeah. So I thought it would be appropriate to kind of repurpose it for the podcast. May I pay my respects? And, and yeah. 100, Bill, you're a veteran. Yeah. Get after it. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's hard. Anytime I'm around you and your brother even comes up, man, it's hard to not mm -hmm. get emotional. So um, as a veteran, as a patriot, and as an American, you know, what I, what I feel for your family and for your brother and his contribution to this country, it is so, so, so emotionally overwhelming. So um, I'm honored, honored to be sitting here, very honored to be able to touch mm -hmm. that. And, and just so you know, anybody yeah. that comes in here, you ask first. This is this is something very special to you and your family and to this country. So uh, I would never, you know, think to even reach out and touch that without asking your permission first. So I, I appreciate, I appreciate that, G. That. Yes, sir. Thanks, man. So you have this amazing podcast studio. You got all this yep. cool memorabilia right in here. You got the lighting, the cameras. Yeah, like, what's yeah. going on here? This is amazing. The Ride Along podcast. Um, you know, and just in Oregon alone, there's I think 4,500 sworn police officers. Okay. Law enforcement agents and there's 30,000 security guards I'm aware yes I'm it currently is. you know I'm, I'm on the board down there for private security at the Department of Public Safety and having been in this industry owning a security company working alongside amazing professionals such as yourself I decided it was time that we highlight the good work that people in security are doing and what you needed. you've done the same thing. You have a podcast, right? Tell yeah. us about that. Uh, I started a, basically a, a YouTube channel to document my entering the security um, realm uh, about three years ago. You know, I was in the military um, for six years in the Air Force and 
and worked in various aspects of law enforcement. I was a state constable. I worked as a That's county right. corrections officer. That's right. Went in the state corrections. But, you know, as of about 2015, 2016, I was pretty much done with law enforcement. To be honest with you. Why? We, uh, why? What led to that decision? You know, I think that... I made Because, you know, I made that decision as well. Yeah. So what, what was... What was the key factor in that decision? I think that for a lot of people that get into that line of work, there's there's three types of people, right? Yeah. Number one, whether it's military or law enforcement, you have the legacy. This is someone whose yeah. father yeah. was in the military Definitely, or law yeah. enforcement, oh, yeah. their grandfather, their great-grandfather. Mm. It's it's in their blood. It's what they know, yeah, right? That's right. You also have a, another group of people where... Maybe they weren't as popular or they didn't develop properly. And so being in a position of authority or mm -hmm. having the ability to legally carry a firearm or legally yeah. uh, impose your will on people, good, bad, or indifferent, some people gravitate to that. Then you have those people in the middle that are searching for something. Would you call that second group bullies? I don't, I don't you know what? Or people was, just who see injustice and feel as if they're the one that should be in the gap stopping that injustice. Well, you know, the line... It's kind of a double-sided double coin. The right? line... Yeah, it is, because it's it's two wings of the same bird. Yeah. The line between Batman and Joker is very, very, very thin, right? Very the thin, person yeah. that is doing the right thing for moral reasons that align with the societal outlook of moral reasoning, right? That's right, yeah. And the person that's doing the right thing for the right reason to them, Right. So hmm. unfortunately, in like law enforcement, in the military, you do have people that come into that situation and say, look, you know, for instance, let's take um, mm -hmm. the the attack of September. 11th, right. There's people that joined up that said, look, the people that did this need to pay. That's right. That is a very admirable cause. But if you look at it in the scope of morality, not morality as to what does it mean to be an American? but morality across the board in a world view, yep. right? That can be seen as a little bit of a jaded reason to join the military, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's needed and it's necessary, yep. but depending on which side of the, the moral aisle you look at something like that, it can be seen as being, as being jaded. And I think that happens a lot of time in law enforcement. Look, yeah. we live in Portland, and I've had this conversation with, with so many people in the last couple of weeks because, you know, we deal with the homeless community. We deal with people who are addicted to drugs. We deal with people who are suffering from mental illness. And depending on which day it is, which week it is, which month it is, our leadership here in Portland might or might not address any of those issues. Yeah. So for the people that live here in Portland that are just trying to go about their day, trying to raise their family, trying to provide for their family, yeah. there might not be a lot of resources for those people to deal with the situations that are brought to them no, that are of no yeah. uh, reasoning of their own. No right? resources available. So yeah. what can happen in that situation is you have two types of people. People mm. that say, I hate this community and I'm going to do anything and everything I can to drive these people out. Or do what your company with Echelon, with what you're doing with loving one another, That's is right. doing where you say, look, we have a problem. Well, we can address this problem from a compassionate, from yeah. a moral, from a societal community approach, right? right? It's, it's the same thing. You're saying that, look, 
the people that are occupying the streets right now, the people that are underneath these bridges, yeah. the people that are inundating the sidewalks, the people that are causing you know some of these real problems for Portland, whether it's of their own fault or not, the ultimate goal is to get them off of the street yeah. and into a different situation. 100%. Someone with a more nefarious view yeah. would go at that in a much darker way of doing it than what you're doing. You're approaching it from the light. So when I talk about those three types of people, your legacy, your people that get into it with this attitude of, I am going to impose my will on the bad guy, whether yeah, that's a bad yeah. guy from Iraq or that's a bad guy in the inner city. That's right. But then you have that that third group, yeah. that last group, which is what I think that I uh, aspire to be a part of this group. I mm -hmm. think that you aspire to be a part of this group where you say there is a need for someone to stand in that gap. Yeah. Okay. Whether we're talking military yeah. or we're talking security, there's a need because right now the people that work within a uh, retail setting, the people that are at a bank, the people that are at yeah. a grocery store, the people that are at a gas station, if they need help in that immediate moment, the best intentioned police officer cannot get there no. in the moment that the no. problem happens. And that's where security Yeah, comes nationwide, in. you're talking about a seven to eight minute response time. If you're lucky. And that's a major crime. 100%. Shooting yeah. sometimes. And we're almost at 15 minutes now. I, 15, 15. It's funny that you said 15 minutes. I had a gun pulled on me last Monday at a local retail establishment that I was working. Nice. And we, Very classy. Yes. Um, but no, we called the cops after we initiated the yeah. emergency response, and it took the police 15 minutes to get there. Yeah, 15 that's minutes right. That's right. to respond to someone who an active threat with a firearm, an active shooter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Damien, you know, there's these three types of people that join for you know law enforcement. You're in that third category. You were in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Why did you leave? I think that that was a long way of getting to, to this answer. You know, when I got into the military and when I joined mm -hmm. any aspect of law enforcement, what I was looking for was not only camaraderie and a the brotherhood. Sense of, uh, yeah, the brotherhood. That's right? right. But also I was looking for, I think, organizations that were merit based and free of politics and bureaucracy. And you joined the Air Force. I joined the military and I joined various <laughs> levels of, of law enforcement. Yeah, and, you know, right. it took me a long time as a, as a person and as a man to understand that there's no area that is free of politics and bureaucracy. Very true, especially in a, in a country as politically based yeah. as America. Yeah. yeah. So that was hard for me. Um, the military was very, very difficult for me because, mm -hmm. you know, being in the Air Force, you're not placed in this is I went in in 96. I'm dating myself here. But, you know, going in pre 9-11, yeah, there wasn't a lot for us to do. Nothing. So in terms of like budgets were cut. Yeah, and we're you know we couldn't even get workout equipment back then. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. we were we were just trying to find ways to stay busy. So yeah. in the Air Force, a lot of your promotion at that time was based off of testing. So for the guys who were mm. working, I worked on the B two stealth bomber system. The guys who were working on the flight line, and, and primarily those are going to be your lower enlisted ranks, your, your airmen first class, course, your senior airmen, yeah, you know, so I'm in a, a, basically a supervisory role as a senior airman mm -hmm. and, and place in a position where, you know, there's a number of us who are working the flight line while the senior airman who was there before us, because it's all based on your time and service time and grade. Yeah. So someone that was there a month or two months yeah. before I was able to, to arrive to that station was able to stay in the office as a as a lead supervisor and study 
and be able to just study yeah. and, and take that test and, and, and place for sergeant. Um, and I had this misconception that when you went into the military that your promotion and your rank was going to be merit-based. But mm-hmm. pre-9-11, if you're not in a war-type situation, it's hard to put on rank. And I know people right now— It's hard to build merit. It's hard to build well. merit, right. And, yeah. and so that was very um, uh, frustrating to me. And unfortunately, I didn't have people in leadership roles to say, hey, man— this is life. Like if you leave yeah. the military and you go into the private sector, so that mentorship piece wasn't there. The mentorship piece wasn't yeah. there. Um, and, and I think that could have been maybe the base that I was at. It could have been the system that I was working on. Yeah. And this is no shot against anybody. It's not somebody else's no, responsibility. No, yeah, military is great. Well, yeah. We love the military. hundred percent, hundred percent. Looking back, I would have made a lot of different decisions, but I also found that in, in law enforcement, um, you were eager and you were, you wanted to go out and crush it. 100%. And you wanted to go out and just destroy and then conquer and make those gains. Because you watch, yeah. you know, you grow up watching movies and it's like the guy yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, Captain America, he jumps on what he thinks is the grenade and it's like, that's the guy. And they yeah. put rank on him. Yeah, and you right. think that like, if you work hard, you're going to be equally rewarded. Yeah. Unfortunately in life, that's not how life works. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about the military or law enforcement or entrepreneurship. There's a lot of people that work really hard as entrepreneurs. They're not successful. It's not yeah. for any lack of effort or any lack of trying. Life is just not fair. And it takes a that's long right. time for some people, me included, um, to come to grips with that. In terms of the law enforcement, one of the things that I really had a, a hard time with um, I started working for a county uh, uh, correctional unit, um, and again went into it. So county jail, county jail, went sheriff's into department it. Sheriff's or, department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, this county jail was was separate from the sheriff's department. It was run by uh, the the local county commissioners. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. Okay, that's so, that's an interesting system. Yeah. Were they all county beds, city beds, or were they shared federal beds? Honestly enough, huh? this location had a certain set number of county beds. They yeah, also yeah. did uh, holding for people who were transferring feds. from the 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 state system going to the feds. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah. would house them there. And then we had a gym. What percentage? I'm just curious. We had a gym that housed about <laughs> 150 ICE yeah. detainees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so much money. really getting into the ICE game. We should come back and have a separate discussion about of this. Of course. But so many of these county budgets for jails yeah. are being propped up by these federal dollars for these federal yeah. beds. Yeah. And it, it's making, it makes it difficult once you get to capacity at the jail and you need to book someone for a misdemeanor. You can't, even yeah. though there's 85, 90 ICE detainees. Right. And we, you know, the local, the local community really needs access to that bed. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and so we'll talk about that later, but that's just an interesting dynamic. If yeah, I, I think that you everyone know, out there in law enforcement, you know, you know, Bob, I'm going, I'm going into the, the, <laughs> the correctional side of things, um, maybe 10 years post my military career. Wow. And yeah. so again, getting into it with a little bit smarter, a little bit smarter, you a understand. little bit older, yeah. uh, a little bit more mature. Yep. Uh, but one aspect, I went into a, a, a rural county jail system, and during training, during training, the sergeant uh, that's going through the baton training, yeah. he says to me, well, he says to the class, you know, this baton we call the nigger be cool stick. Because this is a white deputy. This is a white sergeant. He says, uh, because when we break these out... So direct line supervisor. Direct line supervisor. Use, drops the N-word. You're I, the only black dude drop, in the class? Drops the N-word like he's saying it's Tuesday. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, you're, you're the only black man I'm in the, the only class. black person in the, in the, in the oh, class. And, and, what, he, and so 
you you moved to Portland. What you're this? I'm assuming. Okay. Well, this I don't was in know where you're from. This okay, was in Pennsylvania okay. when this happened. This was not. Portland. I, I had to know. I, okay, okay, so this was in Pennsylvania, but you know, he, hey, rural, rural Pennsylvania. Rural Pennsylvania. Okay, okay. And he says, so Western no, Pennsylvania. Yeah, this is yeah. as long as my own. Okay, we don't have to talk. We don't have to an talk. area in Pennsylvania. Non-disclosures yeah. have been signed with right. multiple law enforcement agencies. But he, but he says uh, <laughs> he says this is the nigger be cool stick because when we break it out, every nigger on the block knows they better fucking calm down. Wow. Excuse my language, and. You know, wow. that set off a, a series of events. And, and to cut this story and make it a lot This shorter, is in the 2000s, he said this. this. in the wow, 2000s. But I have a view that, and I have found this to be true in my anecdotal situations, that in law enforcement, if you are a black officer, mm-hmm. there is only two types of black officers that are allowed to be on a law enforcement department. These are people... These are anecdotal thoughts that I have from people that I know that are currently in law enforcement, people yeah. that have been in law enforcement, hey man, people that it. aspire to be in law enforcement. Yeah. If you are a black officer, you have to either A, completely shut down any thought process, any conversation, any discussion of racism, societal racism, potential oppression, and how that can affect you. You have to yeah, be yeah. completely devoid of any aspect of that. You cannot embody it, wear it, think about it, talk about it. It can't be there. What happens if you do? You either will not be hired or mm. you will be ceremoniously kicked out of the service. Yeah. And, and those services. Or probably I, you'll never make promotion. You'll never make promotion, yeah. right? The other type of officer mm. is a black officer that comes in and goes to the nth degree on the opposite side of that to completely devalue and to completely shut down and to completely speak out against anyone who has that thought process. And that's a, that's a vast generalization. I so they that. swing, uh, and just to, to be clear, they swing more towards the ACLU, you're saying? They become a civil rights org- no, activist? No, I would say they swing more towards a... Uh, more towards a racist view towards the black society, black community. So they're they they're, they're putting down their own community. Yeah, I mean, you've heard that that Ice Cube uh, quote in some of the NWA songs where he says the black cops showing out for the white ones. Like those are the yeah, cops yeah. that we growing up had more fear of almost than anybody else. You look at the situation down in Memphis where those, you know, the, the Scorpion Squad that's attacking that. Like, I think there were yeah, some personal right. issues behind right. that, but yeah. you know. I feel like Damn. we we are in a we're in a we're in a time right now where we mm-hmm. talk about 21st century policing, mm-hmm. right? What is 21st century policing? My opinion, 21st century policing is understanding the historical and the societal issues that plague any aspect of the community that you might interact with, yeah. right? So, for a white police officer to pull over a young black male, there is a perception. I'm not saying that this is true, oh, yeah. but there's I a agree. perception of a yeah. power imbalance, right? Correct. There's a societal perception of that. So for mm-hmm. any officer to be placed in that situation, he needs to be cognizant. He should be cognizant of all of the things that are the underlying issues of the optics of that yeah. and how that can potentially be perceived, how any part of that interaction could affect the department, the city, 100%. the state. And so I talk about this. Yeah. 21st century policing aspect in terms of security. Mm-hmm. I'm six foot two. I'm 270 pounds. If I interact with a woman who's five foot five, homeless, 
mentally disabled, a hundred pounds soaking wet, mm. even if I'm interacting with her in a just that manner, power imbalance is present. The optics yeah. of that power imbalance. Do mm. I have a lot of authority as a security guard? No, I have a very small amount of authority, a very small scope of what my job is. But the optics of me standing over her That's right. and everything that goes along with that, 21st yeah. century policing is understanding that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, still knowing that you have to do your job. I think that too many people now that are under the age of 35, 30 years old, when they get into law enforcement and, and they're being taught about 21st century policing, DEI, all of these buzzwords, they're focusing too much on that social issue mm -hmm. and forgetting that you still have a job to do as an officer. You should That's be right. aware of that power imbalance. You should be aware of the historical context. You should be aware of the systemic issues yeah. that these people might feel they're dealing with. That should turn your volume up or down based on what you're doing. But you can't not police. And yeah. I think that we're seeing in a lot of places, That's a right. lot of liberal states where the police are just saying, well, in the effort to be more inclusive, to be less oppressive, to be less systemic, we're just not going to police. Yeah. And there's no place for that. So that's where we have come in. And I'm glad, and guys, we are audience. We did not know that uh, this was going to be the topic. Damien and I, we always just banter back and forth like this. Stop all the time. me if you need me. No, I, no, <laughs> I, we're, I think we're going to park, park here and stay here for a little bit. So what I've noticed to be true, because I, I was in law enforcement, but I was in rural law enforcement. Yeah. Right. Now, it was a major drug thoroughfare. From two from you know different interstates. Of course, it's an, it's an interstate exchange. Of course, yeah. That highway. So the DEA would call. We would get pretext stops, things like this, you know. But what what I've come to realize is that, you know, there's a, a very large portion of the black population in the states that mm -hmm. live in urban settings. Of course, yeah. People that live in urban settings, are automatically overpoliced. A hundred percent. Because you're the the per capita ratio. Within a within a city, you're talking one to one thousand. Oh, of course. Yeah. Where I worked, it was one to ten thousand. One hundred percent. So the likelihood that someone's going to see me driving around and feel oppressed, right. they're happy to see me because they're like, "Oh, good, we haven't seen a cop in a week." Right, and we've got twelve acres out yeah. here, and you know, so and so. Yeah, exactly. You know, but if you're a black man and you're in downtown Portland, living in a historically black neighborhood, you're going to see twenty cops a day. Yeah, and you're going to feel like. You're going to feel targeted, yeah. whether you are or not. And I do think, you know, there are historical injustices. I think there are a lot of great uh, police officers in Portland. I don't think that, by by and large, cops do not want to target yeah. a certain group. But at the end of the day, the job of law enforcement is to violate people's civil rights. I mean, that's... I mean, to a degree, yeah. To a degree. I mean, this is what we got hired to do, right? I mean, we, we're supposed to do it legally, ethically, and morally sound. Yeah. But our job is to make that stop, yep. which is a rights violation, yep. legal, escalate that into moving from reasonable suspicion to probable cause. 100%. Hey, I, I believe I smell the odor of an alcoholic beverage emitting from that? your is vehicle. Is that marijuana I smell? How many, how many uh, drinks have you had this evening? Yeah. Yeah. Right? To, excuse me, can you please step outside? I need you, Roar's admonishment. I need you to conduct these uh, standard yeah. field sobriety tests, yeah. right? And so we're always escalating. And so when they say we need cops to de-escalate, we need cops to um, not escalate situations. You're literally telling them, you're telling a police officer, try not to make as many stops. When you make stops, try not to escalate that into an investigation. Right. If you get into an investigation, don't really detain them. Yeah. You know, if you have to detain, that's fine. Um, but, you know, only make an arrest if you have to. 
and we have all these booking requirements now where you can't, there's no point to even make an arrest because right. the jail doesn't take them. And so it is kind of counter-reactive. It's, it's this counter um, action occurring. And I, you know, in the larger cities, you know, I served with the FOP, um, the Fraternal Order Police, and I don't speak for them by any means, but the, the term that's used a lot is blue flu. Yeah. Right. Did you, have you experienced that when you were? I have, you know, one of the things that my, my first real interaction with it was during the, the riots, you know, the company that I was working for at the time, we were providing executive protection for one of the news organizations. So our job, all the news, all the media companies have private security. Yeah. They hate, they talk about you in the newspapers and they hate private security, but yet they all hire armed guards. Absolutely. Yeah, so Absolutely. Funny. It's the weirdest. So dynamic. we, you know, were, were <clears throat> trying to establish safe routes to get into certain locations of where they could, you know, set up their cameras in. Because we're shots. protecting their freedom of press. Of course. We're civil rights activists. Yes. The, right? the second amendment protects the first. It's, it <laughs> yeah. protects all of the amendments. Yep. Um, so, you know, being, being down there and I was working, I believe six days a week, uh, from around August through the election. Uh, oh, you went through it then? All the way through it, yeah. yeah that's, so, that's you know, it, me moving from, from Missouri and coming into all of this, everything that was going on with the riots and the protests, um, the issues with the you know commissioners and the district attorney going against the police department, all that started well before I got here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when I'm working downtown, you know, I, have, I had never seen large-scale riots or protests up up close at all not in missouri no yeah and so if, they happen. have something called the national guard that they will yeah. they will yes. quickly roll through there and that'll happen they, to the no, south doesn't happen no. No. Uh, different approach uh <laughs> so um you know watching the police and again i i don't want any of what i'm saying to come off like i'm anti-police i if you are a good cop and you are doing what you're there to do in terms of Mm-hmm. service to the community, you know, my hat goes off to you and I, I support law enforcement. So I'm going to give that disclaimer. Yeah. I'm, this is nothing against them. I'm just telling you what I saw. I saw the police just kind of standing there and watching. I saw buildings yeah. burned down. I saw people, you know, destroying property. I saw people doing all kinds of things. And I get it that, you know, the police. So had, reasonable suspicion, probable cause exists. There are actions that are occurring that arise to the levels that a police officer could um, you know, take notice yeah. and then make an action, a stop, a, you know, yeah. an investigation. And that wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Yeah. It wasn't happening downtown. And so that was kind of the first time that I had seen, but you know, I wasn't aware. What was your first reaction when you shock? Yeah. It, it was shocking to me too. Shock. Just utter, utter because shock. I was, when that was happening, I was technically still a police officer. Yeah. Cause I moonlighted until I started the company and, um, I was technically still licensed, you know, through the Department of Public Safety. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this will they'll, they'll, they'll have all this figured out in about a week. Yeah. And then two weeks later, three weeks later, a year later, you know. I, I mean, you have to you have to understand, like I'm <laughs> shocking. You know, at at this point now, I'm I'm pushing forty five, right? But you know, I've I've grown up, you know, first generation post Jim Crow. My parents grew up in Jim Crow, Arkansas. They yeah. grew up in the 50s. They went to school. They went to segregated schools. Like, by law, my parents had to step off the sidewalk when of course. white yeah. people approached. Yep. Like, when you see the videos and the pictures of the, the Little Rock Nine that are integrating mm-hmm. Little Rock Central High School, like, my dad knows some of yep. those people. So, growing up and being, like, 
under the thumb of parents who under no circumstances did you talk back to the police? Did you question the police if you were pulled over? Lights oh, no. on, no, 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 no. Not windows the, down. Not in the South. No. I mean, it, because there were literal. You show your hand, even in Texas, I, put my, I would put my hands out the window. 100%. So yeah. they can see your hands I as mean, they approach. You know, I mean, listen, we're, you and I are talking about the level of, I don't want to say obedience, but that's the only word that comes to mind. The level of obedience in terms of mm-hmm. how you relate to police. You and I are talking about the same thing from two different perspectives. Number one, in the South, it doesn't matter what color you are. You know, growing up in the 70s and 80s and 90s, the cops were they were under a different a different they were going to get that ass. mindset it wasn't going to happen they were going to get their pound of flesh right and that was Every no time. matter what color you were Does, but then matter. i had the added issue of my parents history and that conditioned you that conditioned as me as a black man in america 100% yeah. so then imagine me going through that working alongside law enforcement officers in pennsylvania rural pennsylvania the north which is supposed to be you know the enlightened North rural Pennsylvania is, is, and when I say this, I don't mean in terms of, of either aspect of the South or the North being racist. I'm just saying that like the attitude of the police and how they interact and would respond to any sort of levels of disrespect or threat. I was mm. very well conditioned to understand what that would be and appropriately. So, yeah. so me being in my forties and coming to Portland and seeing people throw rocks and frozen water bottles and, Molotov cocktails and, you know, get into a shoving match with the cops and be able to just walk well, they, away. They blinded federal law enforcement and local law enforcement with, with Russian lasers I, I, and I, permanently I, blinded them, causing, I mean, these are real assault, an aggravated assault. A hundred percent. And it's, it's amazing. It's rare with what I've experienced in life and where I've been, what I've been through that I'm shocked, but I literally was shocked to just be like, yeah. and you can walk away from that. And it's like, well, the cops aren't, you know, we're not arresting people. Burning down federal buildings. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, we went a, a whole, I know. You, did, you know, this is what the ride along is about because it's just like when you're out on patrol, you never know where you're going to get into. Yeah. Right. So speaking of that, maybe we should just go hit the streets now. Let's hit the streets, man. Because we talked a lot. Yeah. And, um, and we can talk about this in the car while we're patrolling. And uh, let's go catch up with Spence. Do, okay. do Let's look at that community engagement model. Let's do it. And how and let's see how that works on the streets. Let's do it. Sounds good. All, All right. It. Let's go. Let's roll. Here, Old Town, Chinatown. Seems a lot cleaner down here than it was, you know, a couple weeks ago. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. These are all of our properties, obviously. Yeah. The majority of these properties are my are clients of Echelon, and we spend a lot of time doing outreach down here. We've been averaging a hundred transitions, people living in the streets and getting them into a shelter, some type of detox situation, uh, unity some type of mental health therapy program or directly into housing. You know, we had two people transitioned into tiny home housing just recently. You know, we were back at the studio and we were talking about the, the protests and the riots. And one of the things that I noticed early on, you were asking, what did I notice about the interaction of the police? Well, one of the things that I noticed early on was that the model that the news organizations were using yeah. to send in a camera crew and to send in a reporter 
you know, by the time they were able to set up, get yeah. their camera station, get their lights up, the kids who were up front in the middle of everything that was going on, they were already actively live streaming this this information. Yeah, these were the protests. And everything yeah. that was going on. So, you know, Twitter was just completely full of threads yeah. of yeah. information and intelligence that was far faster and earlier than traditional media. And as we made that, that turn back there, I saw uh, another company uh, that had a patrol vehicle and a guy in a uniform, you know, your typical security-esque uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how much do you look at that and see that as like an outdated model? Because you and I both know, like, it's if you're not interacting with these people and getting to know them and like meeting them where they are, this, this model of driving around in a marked car with that uniform on, like, it just seems like they're very much um, kind of behind the curve with what it takes to actually provide security. 100%. Still, last week we had Matt Castile. He's a former lieutenant colonel, uh, ODA, so Green Beret. And we discussed this very thing. The model that we chose, that Reed and I chose to develop, was this OCONUS overseas intelligence slash security model, where it's a full spectrum approach you're using intelligence, right? So investigative services, you're using security apparatus, right? Cause you gotta protect and hold, right? But you're also using community engagement, right? You're changing the social dynamic or you're creating a social dynamic, right? And you're doing, and you're doing that in such a way that is reigniting the community, right? The whole purpose, the whole goal is community transformation. Right. Community transformation. Well, how do you transform communities? You have right. to be a part of it. You have to get in there. You have to be embedded. Yeah. Embedded. 100%. 100%. Hey, these are Victory Outreach people. This is part of our engagement team. These guys here? Yeah. What's up, yeah, bro? Man. Yeah. You get some chocolate, huh? Oh, yeah. Me and my boy, we never got something to eat. Nice. What's up, bro? What's up, Alex? Filming today, we're doing a little documentary work. Montreal, you're a movie star, I can see it. So for the people watching, um, they have a medical, they come once a, once a week, right? The big medical van? Uh, yeah, once a week. Basically a free clinic, and so that's actually gonna draw a crowd here. So you're always gonna have an influx of more tents when you have stuff like that available. Call you it is the best the thing for the people on the street, because it allows group like, groups like us to come out, engage them on the street level, and hopefully convince some of them that maybe they should get into a shelter, maybe they should check into a hospital, get some medical issues dealt with, maybe check into Unity for some mental health care, things like this. Very easy, we just radio cab them. We use a local company, we have an account. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing here. You know, it's easier to fish when this, the, this, the fish, fish are schooling together, yeah. right? You just use a net. So everyone knows Spence. Spence, what do you want to do? What do you what do you what do you, what do you want to hit up? Nah, we just we uh we just came down and gave like 50 sodas out and some fruit to right here, um, and then obviously we just we just walk. I mean, nice. We just want to walk. We can just walk down yeah, the pit. Go. We can walk wherever yeah. you want to go. Doesn't matter to me. You can drive it down there, bro. Hey Jen. Yeah. I'll come back and talk to you in a bit. Okay. All right. Okay. Did you get a smoke? Yeah. Cars. Yeah, I have been trying to watch. I do. I, I appreciate you watching over my truck. But if you want, you can, you can have Adrian drive it down, maybe, or 
coming beside you? No. Right. Nobody get in my truck besides I mean, me, bro. It's sad, right? Just make sure nobody fucks with it. Keys it. Thank you. It's 420. And I got you. 420, and you know what's happening. But it's 420, and the question always is whenever we're hey, out and we're and shooting. This one, too. You this know, one, oh, the this producer one. and the camera These guys two. are all saying, three, is our car going to be safe? Huh? I mean, there's 50 people around. You know, that's the main concern. He said, is our car safe? Our cars are safe. Yeah. I asked them if they're safe. They said they're fine. They're yeah. watch over them. I've, so, I've been down here for three years. Yep. Knock on wood. They know my vehicles. I've never had my vehicle broken into once. I've never even had stuff stolen out of the back of my vehicle. That's right. Never, not once. I will say that, you know, for, for a community, the Portland homeless community in general, they, they are pretty loyal to their word. And, you know, that goes 100. back to the conversation it's that, street that we thing. were having is yep. that once you create that rapport, that impact, now anything could happen. Yep. But, you know, I know Spencer and yourself, you guys have been down here doing a lot of good for a long time. And that goes a long way with these people. I mean, they really do appreciate it. And for the most part, you can take them at their word. I've, I've never had oh, somebody 100. not be a, be a man of their word when they've told me they're not going to do something. That's the only thing they have yep. left is their word. Yeah. If you get burnt on the streets, then you're done. You right. can't even be on the street anymore. Yeah. Alex, I was going to ask you, like, yeah. how the the aspect of people that want to be homeless. So, like, you know, this is something that I've grappled with and had issues with in my personal feelings and advocacy in terms of this uh, situation yeah. or discussion. When you encounter people that just want to be homeless, like, what do you yeah. do? Do you guys just kind of cut your losses or are you still trying to advocate for them to move to a better situation? Spencer's the best at answering this, but you know, I used to be homeless as an adult and as a child. And you never cut your losses. Never. Spencer had a, a relationship with a guy, and this was an OG. This dude was an OG, like straight up. 18 years, 20 years on the streets, three year relationship, and it led to him reuniting with his family. In New York. Back in New York. I actually just heard from him too, and he's doing well. See? So he's got a job, he's got his own place now. Um, this dude was pimping and selling dope here in Old Town for 18 years. Yeah. And now he's well, back and home. The, and, the, and the reason that it happens is because I caught him on a bad day. Yeah. That's right. And so all the other days, you know, he was doing this thing. He wasn't really interested. I caught him on a bad day where he's like, man, I can't do this anymore, man. Yeah. And so that's why we try to contact people on a daily basis. So 90, the, we contact him 100 times. And 99 times they tell us, I'm good. That 100 time they're like, man, I can't do this anymore, man. Yeah. What can I do? Can you help me? I'm like, yeah. So what we do is we go around, we just plant seeds, man. That's all we do. That's right. And sometimes those seeds grow and sometimes they don't. But at least we plant that seed. So when you're ready, because I can't make them be ready. Yeah. When they're ready, they know we're here. How do you keep your desire for what you want to create as a, as a business and as a model and your desire to see someone do better? How do you keep that? in line with also, uh, I mean, I don't want to say free will, but allowing someone to also walk the path that they want to walk. I know you say that you can't make them do it, but you know, if you're constantly putting them in a position where you're there to be a crutch for them to get up, ultimately at some point in time, you will catch them on a bad day and that's they right. might take that. But my concern is that if someone hasn't done the work that's necessary for them to be self-sufficient, when they leave this area where you guys have constant interaction with them and they get to another area, mm -hmm. how do you help to ensure that they don't just backslide or fall back into the same situation? I think, and now they're in a place where yeah. they don't have the resources of, of what you guys are trying to offer. I think that we've, 
been very intentional about the strategic partnerships that we built in the private and nonprofit sectors. So we work, again, like City Team, Bybee Lakes, Hope Center. Gospel Rescue Mission. Go Union Gospel Mission, right? Blanche House, right behind us. These are proven programs that have 80 to 90% effective rate of non-recidivism, non so people stay in the program, graduate and stay off drugs for up to five, 10 years, yeah. forever. And so dealing with, you know, getting these people into shelters, that's why currently, I mean, we're working on a shelter, but we don't have a shelter, right? What, we, what we're trying to do is we're trying to fill up all the awesome shelters that already exist. Yeah. So we've turned away right. 29 people this way because of lack of bed availability right. this week alone. But on the positive side to that, in the last two days, I've gotten three bus tickets for people to go home be with their families. That's right. The best way for somebody to be successful is to get them out of this area and get them, get them around people that love them. That's the hard part about working down here sometimes too when I first started working down here. So many times we fail, fail over and over and over again. And I don't really necessarily see it as a failure, but like, you, you see these people that you want to help, you want to help, but until they're ready to help themselves, there's nothing we can really do. All we can do is show love. And, I, and the thing is, is, it's not about even giving them things. So when we want to help somebody, I always say, listen, I'm going to take five steps towards you. I just need you to take one step towards me. One step. So I know that you're ready to make, that, make another step. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to do the majority of the work until you can get on your feet enough to do most of the work. Yeah. And we're just trying to get people into shelters. We're trying to save lives. Yeah, it's like, what is the goal? We Narcan the guy, what, yesterday? Yeah. Today? No, today. Yesterday. We, yeah, yesterday. Yeah, we saved, we saved and somebody's life. That's like the ninth person in six days in just Old Town yeah. that we Narcan'd. And it was over here, Second and Pine. And it's like, you know, that's, there's, it, there's no politics involved in getting someone Narcan. Yeah. There should be no politics involved in getting someone into a shelter. If they're a Muslim, we call the imams. We have someone on staff here that's a Muslim. They call and they try to work in that community to get the best options for that person. If they're uh, from the Asian community, we, we reach out to our friend at IPAC and say, hey, is there anything in the Asian community that can help? If they're uh, LDS, if they're a Baptist, if they're a Catholic, like we're helping people, we're saying, what kind of help will you receive? Yeah. The model doesn't work unless you have people that really believe. You have to buy into it, you have, 100%. You can't even buy into it, it's just gotta be who you are. Yeah. yeah. It's gotta be in your heart. We were yeah. talking back yeah. at the studio about the three distinct types of people that get into law enforcement and the military. And you've got like your legacy people, that's one area. The second is the person that wants to have some level of control or authority. To me, that's the most dangerous. And then you have the person that wants to be that sheepdog, wants to be that protector. That's right. And it's like, you're one of those three. The guy that's the legacy can become either a two or, 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 or a three. You know what I mean? Um, but I have a hard time believing that the person that's in that middle can go either way, the other direction. Does yeah. that make sense? That person who They're just so, wants to control people. Yeah. It's and, an ego and, thing. And Their ego, ego gets right? in the way, yeah. the, yeah. the career, the rank. They're never going to yeah. be that sheepdog who's doing it for the mm -hmm. right reason. It's like, so you're saying like it has to be. When your ego comes first, you can't do anything for the right reason. But you can't have a model, and, and this is this speaks to a bigger idea about policing in general. You can't have a model that is putting its thumb on the people and putting its thumb on the people's rights no. unless you have someone who's that second guy. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah. So like you can't do your job and what you guys are trying to accomplish down here if you're that second guy. You've got to be the person that's doing it with the right reasons and the right intentions. Um, but I can see how that's difficult because, you know, there's just not a lot of people that 
Hey, we had to a not be that middle guy. We have a security guy, man. Like he's the nicest guy, nicest guy. Now he looks like a, a, a beast. He's a former MMA guy, Army Ranger, and he's the nicest guy though. He never gets into any use of force. But one day, some guy was pissed off and took a gallon jug of urine and poured it on him, yeah. and threw it in his car. And did that? Yeah, threw it in his car. And did he re retaliate? No. He backed down. And he didn't hit the guy. He didn't touch the guy. He called for law enforcement. Law enforcement came, arrested him. Yeah, it's assault. But yeah, you you really have to want and desire change for the people out here. Your your love and care for the people out here has to be greater than your need to feed your ego. Yeah. Once that ego takes over, you can't help nobody, man. You, you gotta let it go. Spencer got hit because he was trying to hand a guy a coat. It was freezing. It was middle of winter. Punched got, me in the face. Swore my eyes shut. Yeah. And he was and like, bro. Jacket. And then Spencer goes, you're still going to need this coat. <laughs> After they arrested him. Yeah. So, I, I, listen, I'm not saying that I'm some kind of pushover because I'm not a pushover. You know that. I, he knows that. Sure. But here's the thing. There's wolves and there's sheep down here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We know who the wolves are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't mind being a sheepdog with a little bit of wolf in me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we try to do. We don't. We don't even look at the. We don't even look at the bottom line. What we look at is the, is the people. We're out here doing this because it's what we love to do. If you're in this for the money, you're in this for the wrong reason. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There, there's no money. There's no money in this. No. Right. And when we started the nonprofit, I told Alex. I got. I was a little overzealous, and I said, "Hey, man, I want." Because I, I heard about like only like 10% of what it actually goes to, to nonprofits actually go to what they say it goes to. Yeah. I was like, we're doing, we're doing like 75%. And they're like, well, we got to be realistic because we have overhead. And I, right. yeah. I was like, I'm like, then this is all I care about then. Transparency is what I care about. That's right. I don't, I want to be right. so transparent that people know exactly where all dollars are going mm -hmm. because this is not about money for us. This is about down here trying to help people, trying to help the community, help the city. I, I, I know it sounds cliche, but it, that's really what it's about. It's that Bottom easy. Line. Community transformation. So, and you do that? One person at a time. We just had two people in the last two days die in the pit. That's right. Right over here. Yep. K9 just died. Two blocks away. Uh, and it's just new train stuff coming out. Yeah. And it's sad to me that this is what's going on in, in a community that I grew up in. And uh, yeah. nothing's being done about it. So no. let's just walk. Yeah, let's get it. <clears throat> going back to what you said, the paradigm is so new. This type of security approach, I mean, it, you know, I call it nation building. It's time that we, we spent billions of dollars overseas. It's time we look inward on ourselves and we rebuild our nation. And we start in the inner city and we rebuild our nation back to what it could be, something that's thriving for everybody, right? This is a lot of work. It is a it's, lot of work. It's, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of work. work. It is. And I don't think they yeah. realize that how long it takes to, to build these relationships. I've been down here three years. Alex right. has been down here three years. Reed's been down here three years. I've been here for, since the beginning, and it's taken a long time. There, I, I'm not kidding you. There's times we come to work, we didn't know if we were still going to be there or not. That's right. We never knew who was going to knock on our door and try to try to trip us up a little bit, you know? Yeah. We were like, you know what? We're going to do the right thing for the right reasons, and whatever happens, happens. If someone can't elevate in their so position, red dog. if someone can't move up, and then you also take away so red? any ability for them to actually do anything, yeah. then what's the point in going so bro, How you doing, dude? Good. What's going on with you, brother? Oh, nice to meet you. You got the Kuko jersey on. I respect it. Yeah, that's what's up. Respect it. Yeah. Nice choice. Chilling. Got you in part two, huh? Another day, you know? There's always a need, right? What's going on, man? How's everybody doing with uh, K9 gone? 
Damn, it's a lot more a lot more tents down here oh, than just last week. Where are these tents coming from? Where are they moving from? Everywhere. <laughs> People here from out of town, different states. Are they coming from like certain areas right here that are cleaning out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so this is an ODOT property. Uh, it's, it's actually been slated for a pretty one of the relationship. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to been, have been that for three years, I think. Was the good food good? And, uh, you, got some hot dogs? you know, this doesn't really get cleared as much because it's obviously not affecting the pedestrian ADA rules yeah. that were set in place. Yeah. It's not really affecting um, the flow of traffic, vehicle traffic. Um, so it allows people to come here, gather together. And you know, there's safety in numbers, especially on the street. Yeah. You know? Hey, what's sex life between the homeless? What? What's the sex life between homeless? People? Sex life between homeless? Yeah. I don't. It's intense. It's intense. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, bro. That's good, bro. That was, that was good, bro. I like that. But he's looking fly today and acting fly today. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, he's I trying. See. Yeah, he's campaigning over here. Oh, man, yeah. I campaign every day for the red team. There you go. You get flamed up. That's what's up. Bounty hunter, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> L.A., Watts, California. Strong it up. Everybody know that. <laughs> That's what's up. So, Red, since you're here, I'm going to ask Red a question. Is that all right? Go ahead, yeah. Okay. And you're welcome to chime in, too. So, how many times do you see cops down here? Well, hey, not too hard to admit at all, but last yesterday, they came in six deep automatic weapons coming right here like you were they're doing like this. I was like, oh, shit. What so happened? You, you see everybody scattered. Yeah. They're looking for somebody, I guess. I don't know. I didn't pay them no mind because I know I'm That's the I'm first clean. time you see them down here in a while, huh? Yeah, then they split up. They went three on each side. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm looking for somebody. Yeah. Mm. Then they bailed. So I don't know who they're looking for, but uh, mm. they came out like the Marines. I mean, What's, what's the AR-15? What's the oh, move? Man. What's the move been like since uh, you've, we've had they've had what two pass away down here in the last week? It's been kind of with that yeah, it's been OD. Kind of tight, yeah. What, what has it been? Blues or whites? Like what has it been? Been, It's been that. It's been that trank. The ketamine. Oh, for real? Yeah. Sick boys are all into right Yeah. It's that. Uh, it's that new trank with the fatty with yeah, the, the, the ketamine. Yeah. Hit him hard. Boom. And it was crazy. He was breathing from the left. Oh no shit. Do y'all have any um, Narcan out here? Oh, the Narcan doesn't work. No, it's not not on the new Trank? No. It's new synthesis. So, because it, it's got ketamine in it. it won't work. So, all, all these drugs and chemicals are produced in China. Yeah. The cartels yeah. take their money. What's up, Kim folk? They take their money, uh, they take it to China, they launder the money there, they keep it in China, and then the Chinese sell these chemicals back to the cartels down in Mexico, and then they bring it all back up. And so this is a new process. What's up, family? Hey, what's up? Hey, you doing good? Where's your lady? She's over there, man. She's sick yeah. right now, man. She got cancer, she's kicking her ass. So. Oh, no shit? Yeah, so it's tearing me up. Where are you staying at? Over there on Shaver. But you're in, you're in, a, in a, a shaver, right? You're in housing, right? You're not on the tent? You're not in the tent? No shit. All right, give me a call tomorrow. I'll come by. I can't even use my phone. I mean, my phone is just... No, okay. Where are you gonna be tomorrow? Here? I don't know. I can't tell you. Yeah. Well, if you do if you do come down to the market to the uh, security officer, just ask for one of us tomorrow. We'll come down and make yeah. take care of you. Anybody got a cigarette? I do, I got one. 
Yeah. Damien, by the way. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. You, you need something to eat? I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. It's up for you and your wife, too, man. They sit there overnight. There you go. Yeah. All right. Okay, man. Love you, man. Yeah. Sorry, you're going through that. Hey, you got blankets or bedroll, Jill? You got any blankets or bedroll? She getting too thin, huh? Let's walk this way. Let's walk this way. I'll be back in a second. Okay. Um, all right, we'll we'll go hit it up and we'll drop it off later. You guys We're gonna go to the resource center and then we'll what do you yeah have? we'll make sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, you'll have it tonight. Okay. Yeah. That's that's on skin, baby. I got you. Yep. Oh, she's inside. You're outside. And so. Jill's working, probably trying to get into a shelter. You know, every shelter has a different intake process. There isn't one process. Yeah, that's Eric Pringle. Nothing streamlined. There isn't even a bank of beds. No, the county has 2,000 beds. The city has 200. But no one knows where the openings are currently right now. There's no yeah. central tracking right, system for beds. Let me ask you this. Why, if you guys are you. down here, yeah, this embedded, right. this involved, you have to get you're okay. yeah. getting the results. I'm glad why is it the county, the city, reaching out you're to you? You're a shaver, shaver in uh, 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 You know, uh, we're right trying there. to do that. But you're staying on the we're doing that through people who have, that are more important than us. We'll say it that way. Former CEO types are making those debt that bridge but we clearly have so you know one of the major got blankets issues that's to stay warm? happening okay. in portland is the homeless crisis okay. well, come tomorrow yeah. there is an ungodly okay. amount of money right, that is sitting available in multnomah yeah. county of course and continually we have a mayor and we have yeah. a city council that can't decide which direction to go to make change yeah what's the conversation about? i don't know i'm not in those conversations but have you attempted to reach out directly to the people that could facilitate you guys yes. working with the organizations yeah. to help you guys do this on a bigger level? Yeah. yeah what's, we the, have. what's the answer? Um, we're thinking about it. We're planning. We're in planning stages. Budget. Oh, it's the budgetary process. You know, it's budget season. And so people are budgeting, you know. The county, there's like 20 different companies or agencies or nonprofits that are like this. and. They're, you know, they hand out a lot of money to a lot of people, but there's no concerted effort. Right. Now, I think that, I think this, the, the mayor, Ted Wheeler, I think he's coming up with a plan, you know, these larger shelter systems, getting those in place. And hopefully that's more of a ref refugee style center where people can, you know, sign up to vote, get a GED, get education. Maybe there's gonna be a, some, some uh, physician's assistants and nurses there, we'll have a pharmacy there. So more of a full wraparound in-house service center but until we have something like that i mean what's the number of homeless in portland chronically 4500 yeah. so here's my here's my in question. transition Let's, another two i've, I've been 2, here 000. for going on three years It'll yeah. be three years next month okay yeah and for the entirety of the three years everyone from the mayor to the city council that's right to the county council has been talking about planning talking about budgeting, That's talking right. about coming up with an idea. Yeah. My opinion, look, no vacations, no weekends. You have a problem. You're running businesses out of downtown. People are leaving in droves by the thousands. You have people yep. that are dying on the street. That's right. You have people that are getting access. The big problem right now, according mm -hmm. to, to many people in Portland, is the firearm issue. You have people getting access to firearms illegally yeah. due to the, the drug issues that are on the street. I don't see what the conversation is about. Get your people in an office. Yeah. 
link up with companies or, or organizations like yours yeah. who are down here, who are in the trenches, who have the, the, the minds and the hearts of the people that are most affected, and come up with a plan, even a peripheral yeah. plan of this is what we're thinking we can do within six to eight weeks, but there should be a timeline right now. You know, if, if, I, yeah. if I didn't have a, I know, man. I, if I didn't have an idea of how I was going to yeah. pay my child support, my wife ain't trying to hear that. No, 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 no. It's due. That's so right. there's a bill that is due to the people of Portland. That's right. In my opinion, yeah. whoever it is that needs to sit down with you guys yeah. and figure out a way to do this, it should be happening. I'm done here. I can meet you. You know, I think, and I'm going to just yeah, yeah. go there. I'm I don't really here. get into politics, but I think that there's Actually, an element the right there. Is she in the van? Of, of, of can you, can you ask extreme libertarianism. Bring you back, right. uh, some blankets? So if, if you go too far right or you go too far left, you end up in this weird stream libertarianism field, huh? right? And people Actually, think that this is freedom. Right for, people, for these people. Right. I think she's going over they don't see this as slavery. They see this as freedom. And I think that over time, as it gets, as it's gotten worse, people are realizing this isn't freedom. But is that the majority or the minority that thinks That's that? the minority, but it's a very vocal minority. Yeah. It's a very vocal minority that says, hey, no, people should be naked, be able to have sex, do drugs, and live in a tent in public space. And that should be fine. It's just, it's an extreme form of libertarianism. It's not, it's not a traditional liberal idea. They don't understand that being homeless causes PTSD. Right. You can get mental, a mental disorder just from being houseless. Well, I've talked to some of these women right. and what they experience yeah. when they first become homeless. You know, that, that leads to a lot of... Yeah, and currently on the streets, 20%, 10 years ago, 5%. 20% of the homeless are currently female, Yeah. right? On the streets of Portland. And these women are being trafficked for yeah. sure. They're being prostituted, being raped. against raped, against their will, sexually assaults yeah. all the time. Um, and well, it's not a matter of if, it's just when down It's here. just when. Yeah. It's just when. It's very it sad. It's extremely sad. And I think that's another reason, I hate to say it, a lot of people don't want to come down here because how much, how much stress does this put on your heart as a man who has a big heart, who loves people and cares, to come down here every day and deal with this? It's a, for me, it's a mental stress. It's a, it's, there's an emotional and spiritual stress. Absolutely. Mentally. And I think a lot of people, they can't handle it. I don't even know if a politician could actually handle being here all day doing it. I think they'd go home and cry themselves in, in the shower. I, the, the, the amount of mental fortitude and, and, and groundedness and moral groundedness you have to have to be down here and to make friends with people that you know are going to die of an overdose. These are our friends now. This isn't people we serve. These are this is our community. We love these people, and they're and these people are going to die next week. Someone that we just met is going to die. And to be in a community where you're constantly losing your friends, that is painful. Yeah. It's extremely painful, and it reminds me of being in the military when you know people are constantly dying, and yeah. it's it's that type of stress. Yeah. Yep. Do you yeah. guys worry at all? Before we move on, do you worry that because of the fact that you're providing services to people who otherwise would suffer a fate of not having those services or have to seek them out, do you feel like by offering those Damn. services that you're facilitating something that is bringing more people in as opposing to maybe not having something here to where they wouldn't come to this area? Like, are you guys making it to where it's... No. It's, it's acceptable no. for people to be in this situation. No, we're, so there is the argument that, you know, these institutional nonprofit programs 
they have buildings. We call it the field of dream field of dreams model. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. Well, if you build it, they do come. Yeah. And there and there aren't there are a lot of instances where there are larger congregations of houseless that will take over or be in certain areas because of the services they're receiving by from nonprofits. Yeah. But we don't have a physical location. We have a resource center, um, but we're, we go to people where they live. If all these tents disappear, if they come and clear the, the pit and they have multiple times, we go to where they go. So we're not a nonprofit that's saying, hey, we're gonna have this building and we want you to come and bring all your tents and surround it, right? We're saying, hey, we're gonna meet you where you live. Number one, when, when people are homeless, they don't have a sense of self-worth and agency. And so when you tell people, meet me where I am, you're saying I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. Right. When you meet people where they are, you're saying you're so important, I came here to talk to you today. And so you're automatically giving them a sense of self-worth and that, that relationship and doing it every day, over and over and over, giving them options. Hey, you wanna go to shelter? This is Bobby Lakes over here. City team's great. When you're giving people these options, you're building in them the idea that they can choose their own life. You're creating self-agency for them. And, and we're not coming down here to, we're not coming down here to give them things. We're coming down here to try to help them, give them a little bit of hope, help them change, help transform their lives a little bit. You know, that's, that's our goal. Our goal isn't to just, yes, the daily, the daily temporary things are important, right? People need food, they need shoes, they need clothes. But man, like our goal, our goal, yeah. man, is to put ourselves out of business. That's our goal. Yeah. If we put ourselves out of business, that's right. then all these people are getting the things that they need. So. Red needs some, needs some ba a sleeping bag or a bedroll. Someone Correct. pissed in his tent. I think, uh, I think Jill's going back to get him one right oh, now. Oh, sweet. All right, cool. Some blankets. Well, so. we can chill here a little bit longer. We can keep walking. Just I'm, walk. Yeah. Walk this way. Hey, Red. Hey, Red, is, is she going to go get yeah. you a uh, blanket? Okay. Okay. All right. You know, this building across the street, I mean, it, it had a window shot out. You know? Well, look at those windows that have been shot out up there. Yeah. So, see those look windows? Those, windows. those are bullet holes. So, see that? University of Oregon over there had windows shot out. And that's, it all comes from, most of it comes from the pit right here. Yep. Resources. Yeah. Um, they have showers there like once or twice a week. Yeah. They give out meals there. And so, recycle your cans there. That's what they do. Live in the, the yards. Page and that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So they lived over there. So like when I visited in March of 2020, you yeah. just came to visit. That's right. And so I walked over and I'm like, what is this? I oh, hand out, you know, sleeping bags when they can shower. And they take cans and bottles. I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. So that's why the pit's here. Yeah. Because Jesse, uh, well, some of the community members were like, can't you just. Can't it was supposed to be a skate park at one point. So it is. It's been slated. The money's waiting in the council bar. And they're like, well, you know, if y'all got hired, could you move these tents? And we're like, no, because all the resources are across the street. We don't move tents anyway. Well, no, I'm saying trespass them off the property because they're yeah. technically on property. But no. And we're like, no. These people were always going to be here because of the resources offered across the street, which is what you were talking about earlier. Right? You know, I, I have a, I have a real issue with the homeless community personally like I'm, I'm like a lot of people in Portland I'm just I'm tired it's tired it's tired it's hard and you know what the politicians are tired I watched this movie yeah. about a month ago I was gonna allude to this in our earlier conversation 
there's a movie called Soft and Quiet. And in the movie Soft and Quiet, there's a group of five female friends and they get together and they have this like meeting and they all have like these this racist undertone right yeah the whole point of the movie is that like if you allow even the slightest bit of bigotry to seep into your heart under certain circumstances that spark can ignite a flame and it's like you get into a situation that you can't come back from that's right and i see that so much with like the homeless community people are so tired of there not being something done to address it and so it seeps in this animosity and this like this negativity about the entire community yeah. and i see a lot of security guards when they finally get into a situation unfortunately where they have to go hands-on that animosity and that that negativity bleeds through so they're no longer doing their job at that point in time they're ex they're extracting a little bit of revenge almost yeah yeah um and i don't want that for myself and i don't want that for our community so how do you guys address your officers and make sure that while they're down here in these situations where someone is pouring urine on them, yeah. that they don't allow that to color the professionalism of their job so that when they're still interacting with people, they're not allowing themselves to slide into this area of anger. When, when it comes to, sense? yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When it comes to Echelon, it begins at the hiring process. So we do ride-alongs. And part of the ride-along process is getting people to speak freely to understand what they really believe. Loosen them up a little bit. You gotta loosen them up. Just like a regular, you know, investigation. And you're like, you'll take someone out and be like, hey man, so yeah, look at that guy over there. Look at him, man, what do you think about that? Oh, fucking, I hate the homeless. I can't stand the homeless. Okay, red flag, no go. Right. Right? So we, know, we actually no go a lot. We red flag a lot. Well, we actually hired a guy, and within 24 hours, we fired because we found Correct. out he did something to That's some houses right. people down by Delta Park. That's right. Within 24 hours, he was Boom. hired and fired. And the thing is, I see where people get frustrated too. Like it, the frustration is real, and I think that you know, most of the time, listen, the city's created this monster. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know how you go back on it unless you make some tough decisions, right? I don't think the people that live here are willing to face. I think they are. So. I'm actually hopeful. The, like the actual? The city government. The city people? Yeah, I, I, I believe it, yeah. Now, you got to remember, some new people have been just elected. You know, elections have consequences. Famous line by Obama, which is true. Elections have consequences, and I think that the people that are in office now, they're tired of this. But they want to do, do it in a unique and transformative way, like the way we're doing it. I think that they want to engage the community. They want to engage the community in such a way that gets people into shelters. One little thing would help. If we just had YouTube videos of 30 second commercials of the shelters, that we could show the people, hey, you thought about going here? Here's a testimonial of someone that went through the shelter program. If we could have resources like that, if there was a central tracking system for beds, if we just knew what shelters had beds available, right? And those beds had access to anyone. Anyone can call and get a shelter bed for a homeless person, right? It's the, it's the ability to get people transitioned, the ability to understand where they are, where these beds are, right? Um, you know, Make no mistake about it, man. It's all that tough. red tape. It's tough. Anybody who comes down here and says it doesn't weigh on them, it's lying to you, man. Yeah. It weighs on I mean, it, everything that we've been doing for the, you know, it weighs the on you. the time we're working in security. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know necessarily if the government wants to do anything about it, 
What they need to do is they just need to have the funding and put the money in the right place and let private sector go ahead and go do it. Yeah. Private sector needs to go ahead and clean this up. What yeah. do you think the unwillingness to do that is? I don't know. I I think that I think the the well, homeless industrial yeah. complex is so big now. You know what I mean? It's like there's a lot of people in the home in the nonprofit world that are no longer trusted by people in government yeah. because they don't they don't deliver results. But they don't have different avenues. They don't have different avenues to put the monies in, right? Another problem is, and this is a larger systemic, um, you know, issue, is the Boise rule. In the ninth, in the ninth district, you had police officers in Boise who moved some homeless people. Oh, I'm aware, yeah. They said it was an Eighth Amendment violation, which is cruel and unusual punishment. They said, hey, it's cruel and unusual to do this. You need to give them time, and you got to have a place to put them. So. When that happened, the pendulum, out of fear and concerns of millions and millions of dollars of lawsuits, there was a pendulum swing so far towards libertarianism within city governments, not just in Portland, but all across the Ninth District, that there was, hey, a, an attitude of, we're just gonna let people do what they do, and we'll see if it gets worse. And it got, it's gotten it, it worse. It got worse, congratulations. It got worse, and it got to the point where they eventually had to push back and say, okay, maybe not on sidewalks. Maybe we, maybe we allow ADA access since it's federal statute, right? And so these things eventually have changed. And I think that that pendulum is now coming back and people are overreacting to the Boise rule. And they're getting to the point where they, they're like, hey, I think that we actually can help some people now. But it takes time. Well, busy day, man. Very busy day. We got six into shelters today. That's crazy. Six. That's crazy, man. That's good. Two Greyhound bus tickets home, six shelters, and 10 tent relocations. Yeah. People moving to safer areas. Does that include JJ's Bybee Lakes folks? Nope. Nope. So that's eight. Bybee Lakes folks. He got two into Bybee Lakes. Oh, no, Bach did, yeah. Up there, uh, yeah. Mall 205. Mall 205. Yeah, yeah. JJ no, drove so that, them that would there. be So that would be actually, eight. That would be, that'd be eight. That's dope. We got eight people in the shelter today, bro. That's crazy. And we got, and there was crazy. six turned away because of lack of shelter. Yeah. So what we've learned to do is you have to call it 930 when it opens up right away. Get that name yeah. in. You got to get them in. And then if somebody asks after one o'clock, two o'clock, forget about it. Are there restrictions it. on the shelters? Like you can't bring certain things? Yeah, medium motion. Medium motion is on substances. Well, there are there are some shelters like Bybee Lakes, which is the most desirable. You have to be you have to be have, haven't had anything in your system for 24 hours. No alcohol. High barrier. Be, no high very high barrier. Okay. But they also have once you get in there, if you stay, they have partnerships with FedEx, uh, Amazon, yeah. UPS. They have childcare there. It's out there right by the, all their hubs. So they have their own um, daycare there. Daycare with a playground. Pet center. Pharmacy. And they have it's eventually what they want amazing. to do is be able to grow their own food. Most of them are not like that. So, I love your hat. But like most of yep. them are like, you can't do drugs in here, but you can go outside and do them and then come back in. So, you know, we talked about the, like that's a great example of how a shelter is bringing people in and utilizing them in a positive way. That's Have right. Have you guys ever yeah. had any thoughts of having someone that you've helped come back and then work for your company? Yeah. Yeah, we've had. We do that all the time. The guy that we talked, the guy that we saw down there, yeah, um, he was he worked worked yep. for us. I don't know if we can use his name, but yeah, yeah, his wife has cancer. We've known them five years, yeah, long time. And he used to be a hellraiser on one of our properties. Yeah. I mean, the 
biggest problem. He was a big dude back then. Too. I mean, he, I remember when PPB came to arrest him for like an assault, and he was gonna fight PPB. He said, "I'll let I'll let Stone me. I'll let Stone put handcuffs on me, but I ain't gonna let y'all touch me unless y'all want to fight." And they looked at me and goes, "Do you mind putting his handcuffs on?" I was like, "No, it's like <laughs> click, click." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, we've had a lot. We've had a lot of good success stories. We have people that want to volunteer yeah. for a all nonprofit the all, all the time. time. That's awesome. So as soon as we get that going, that's that will help as well. Yeah, I think churches. That's probably the biggest vote of confidence. A lot of churches. Come back and yeah. Be a part yeah. Of oh yeah. And just working with Victory Outreach, all those guys at Victory Outreach we work with every day. There are people that have been in the gang life. Um, they've been uh, in you know in Dope prison, dealers, prison, state, fed, yeah. federal prison. Yeah. And these are yeah. guys. It's like a golden. We call it. You know. You know this. You were all law enforcement. Golden handcuff programs where. Hey, you have two years left on your state time. We'll give you a year, or you can go to this program and do a year, right? And so, yeah, these guys are great. Victory Outreach. So a lot of these guys are from that life, and they come out here. They know what they're doing. These guys aren't idiots. They know a lot of people. They know a lot of people out here too. Yeah, a little so. bit of uh, outside the box thinking. I mean, this That's could right. really be a, a great service to a lot of people. I hope that uh, people in power can utilize this. Yep. Yep. Cool, yep. man. Go. You out of here? Yep. All right, brother. Love you love. Always hey, a pleasure. Yep, yep, yep. We call it the street commander right yep. here. Yep, yep. Appreciate, Appreciate you guys. All right. Appreciate you, bro. All right. See you. Bye. So, obviously, you know, there's constant drug dealing just right behind us, right? Yeah. Always handoffs. You look around, you know, you were in, you were in the, that law enforcement life. And so you're always seeing the handoffs, but I think we spend enough time down here. I think maybe we should uh, go hit a special spot out. What do you think? Yeah, let's go. All right, let's hit it. Let's go. Hey, man, this is a great place. Um, we're here because tonight we're actually conducting some surveillance okay. at this location. There's a couple of criminal organizations that have really targeted this garage, and we want to put an end to that. Also, we have a property across the street. It's all boarded up, and a criminal organization has chosen that block to make it their block yeah. uh, to sell dope. So we're going to be conducting surveillance there. So let's go and get out. Yeah, definitely. Now, again... You know, the traditional security model is you're going to be in a uniform, you're going to be in a car, a marked car that says security, and the idea is to be a scarecrow, right? Right. And that's the wrong model because what really is going to stop someone from doing, from engaging in crime on this property is catching them, identifying them, and notifying them, I know who you are. Right. You know that I know who you are. If you come back, you're trespassed, I'm going to arrest you. Right? And that level of interdiction, that changes the property. It makes it safe. Yeah. Not driving around in a marked car. Absolutely. No, right? 100%. It's quite um, a, uh, a different perspective up here, you know, seeing yeah. Portland from this high up. Yeah, absolutely. So the, just the other day, we had 97 people around the perimeter of this block. Yeah, this, this area is nefarious for the activities. I mean, it's been cleaned multiple times, I think, in yep, the last yep. couple of months. Yep. And, you know, you can just look at it and see that that's, that's no real deterrent. But, um, yeah, I, I really think that everything that I've seen from what you guys are doing in terms mm -hmm. of the approach, you know, it's thinking outside of the box. And a place like Portland and places that are dealing with similar issues, like, the solution is going to come from, yeah. you know, taking some risks in terms of how you're addressing it. So I'm, I'm really impressed with what you're Taking some on. risks, think, you know, having a, a mindset of discovery. Hey, let's go explore. 
let's try some new things. Yeah. Thinking outside the box. Exactly. Having an attitude of service. That's good, man. We're always learning. Every, yeah. no matter who you are, you could be the most squared away operator. Uh, you know, you could be the most squared away CEO, business leader, and there's always another chapter in that book that can be written. You know, I, do you see those handoffs earlier? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, you know, people are selling dope here, open market drug dealing. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, right? Well, I mean, Alex, look, we've been standing here for five minutes. Yeah. We haven't seen one police car drive by no. in, a, in, in a major city. No. That's unheard of. Yeah. yeah, it's very rare to see law enforcement patrolling. And, you know, I'm not, I can't dog on them. They're, they're critically understaffed. They are, and they're doing what they're being told. I mean, I, I get it. According to FBI stati or stats or recommendations, Portland is only staffed at a 34% force strength level. So they're two-thirds lower than they should be. It's like 100 officers for every 100,000 people. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. In the south, in a typical town or city, you're one for 1,000. Yeah. One to 1,500. And um, they have no... They go call to call. They're always down three to four calls. Call to call. So... Do you ever see a, I don't want to say a merging or a meshing of security and law enforcement, but do you ever see law enforcement utilizing security in like a, a lower level deputy yeah. fashion? Uh, you know, there. I know a security company that just got deputized for the southern border in Arizona. Yeah. Um, I think smaller towns that no longer have the budget, you can run security, a full security operation in a small town for a third of the budget you would for law enforcement. Yep. And, you know, they can still make arrests if they see a crime, if they witness a crime, that 100% probable cause, yep. you know, witnessing the crime, they can make that arrest. So, yeah, I think it's possible. I also think um, that they can be used in roles that law enforcement currently engage in that are unnecessary. Right. So, you know, we're both a part of the, the Professional Security Association of Oregon. Right, and um, I want to lead the effort in legislative efforts in getting laws passed that allow security guards to transport newly arrested persons. Yeah. So, law enforcement, someone makes an arrest, it's signed off on the, the PC affidavit or probable cause affidavit for a, a long-term detention at a jail is filled out by law enforcement, and then they hand that off to a private security company. That private security company then can transport to the jail well, we currently have that now with security companies that are doing federal contracts for yeah. uh, prisoner transport. Correct, exactly. And, and all of this stuff... Makes is, no is, sense is, they don't do it on the street. You and I could sit here for the next two hours and we could come up with 100,000 different ways that private security could be utilized to help offset yeah. a lot of the issues that just Portland is dealing with. But again, it's going to come down to people being willing to have these conversations, to offering seats at the table for discussions. Yeah. And um, I, I think that you have far exceeded any expectation that people would have of a normal yeah. security company. So hopefully that opportunity is presented to you. I think that it's needed and it's necessary. I don't think it's gonna be presented. I think we're gonna seize it. We're gonna take it. That's your only option. And we're gonna do jobs that law enforcement will keep law enforcement on the streets doing their job. Which is what we need. Yeah, that's what we need. Yeah.
Because at the end of the day, bro, that's that's what that's what it's about. Absolutely, man. I love yeah. it. Thanks for doing the ride along, man. Absolutely, my pleasure, bro. I want you to come back, co-host a couple shows. You know, I think that you're a great guy, and I think people need to hear what you have to offer. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for it. Absolutely, bro. Let's get out of here. Thank you.